Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of The Perfectly Imperfect Musician. I'm your host, Teresa Powell, and this is the first episode that has been posted of this podcast since February 13th, 2018. It's been forever, and so much life has been lived since then. I do have to admit, um, I am a little anxious about posting this episode just because I don't know how many of you guys have stuck around that long. You know, Um, hey, and we're here to be honest. So I'm doing that right off the bat. That's sort of our thing. Um, If you're new to the podcast, this is a self-improvement and wellness podcast for musicians. We speak with musicians of all kinds, teachers, performers, uh, influencers, and everything in between. And we talk about struggles and triumphs and... um, practice tips and professional development tips and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, it's just a really fun time and I'm so happy to get this back and rolling again. Um, Another point of honesty, this is the third time that I have started this intro over and um, since I recorded this podcast a month ago with Jolene Madewell, who is this month's guest, uh, which was a fabulous interview, the, the anxiety came straight from my end. It has nothing to do with the quality of that interview, obviously. It's really just me wondering, you know, is this going to sound good still? Are people still going to be interested? Um, you know, everything inside of a, a scholarly arena kind of feels like a good idea, especially when you're in grad school and, and, uh, you have, you know, kind of the time to do those things. But anyway, enough about that. Um, just a little bit of info on what I've been up to the last couple of years. Um, uh, I graduated grad school. Hurrah, hurrah. Uh, I met my fabulous fiance, Zachary Newman, and we now have a podcast called Eat, Drink, Opera, which is also available on Apple Podcast and uh, Spotify SoundCloud. Um, and go ahead and go there and like it and subscribe because it's a fabulous podcast and you'll like it. Plug, plug, plug. Um, and uh, anyway, so we both got our degrees and hauled it out to Austin, Texas, and now we're here doing the the, the private musician uh gig the private teacher gig um he's doing a little wine as well as a doing the sommelier gig so we're just really busy and having a great time um just spent a lot of really amazing personal growth uh on my end and uh i just really hope from the bottom of my heart that you guys out there have had as wonderful of a couple of years as i have as well so anyway i've given myself a very strict four and a half minute um time slot for this intro so that I don't blab on and on and then start to second guess my life choices. Um, So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get on to the show. Here is uh, the conversation that I had a couple weeks ago with Jolene Madewell. She is a local flutist and private lesson teacher, and she's just fabulous and has so many great ideas. Um, Check out her stuff in the show notes where you can find her online and if you have any questions for her, get in touch with her. She's 
actually love to hear from you guys. Um, I'm cutting the outro for this season. So uh, if you want to find us and follow us, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all of that good stuff, we're on Facebook as well. Um, thank you guys so much. I love you. Have a good rest of the, the month. We'll see you again with another uh, episode. Uh, here is Jolene Madewell. and fellow musicians. Um, thanks for joining us for the second uh, season of Perfectly Imperfect Musician. I'm so excited to be back with everyone. And uh, I'm sitting here today with Miss Jolene Madewell. Um, this is the first time we're meeting today. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you. Um, Jolene is a fellow Austin flute teacher and flutist. And uh, anyway, um, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, so if you're new to the podcast, um, welcome. One of the things that we like to do on here is uh, chat about our life as musicians and, um, you know, let you guys know that you're not alone in this struggle and magical life that is being a professional musician or student musician, wherever you are in your journey. <laughs> um, Jolene, uh, let us and our listeners know a little bit about you. Um, where did you start? Uh, give us some background. Where did you train? Who was your teacher? How did you get into music as a profession? Uh, and all of that good stuff. Yeah. First, I have to say, there's a very cute dog in my lap. <laughs> yes, we. I love this. <laughs> here in season two, uh, my fiance and I have just recently relocated to Austin, obviously, and I am now recording our episodes in the home. So yes. our doggos are here. If you hear them barking or whining or anything, it, you're just it. gonna have to live with it. <laughs> we have a husky, and she is not a lap dog. Oh. So I'm like happy to have a dog in my lap. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> um, but as far as my musical journey, I. I grew up in New England. I grew up in Massachusetts, and I became more serious about flute playing in high school. I had a really great teacher for the second half of high school and did things like Allstate, and I became more serious and kind of learned to really like playing and practicing. Um, So I didn't actually end up going to school for music. I went to University of New Hampshire for nutrition, and I applied to 13 different colleges for science only <laughs> okay none for music for undergrad or yes, okay undergrad. so you applied, applied applied for 13 colleges for mm-hmm. an undergrad bachelor in science yeah okay yeah and i i was very aware of the music departments at each of the schools and i was like that was a part of my criteria i needed to go somewhere where i could at least play mm-hmm. or like have a good music program that yeah, i could sure. watch and i ended up choosing university of new hampshire for nutrition and I very quickly like learned that I could take lessons with the flute teacher who was Peggy Botts and I joined the studio. I didn't understand what a studio was. I had never even heard that oh, word. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was very I was a newbie to being a music major. Um, I wasn't one until semester two. I changed my major um, out of nutrition because I just felt like an alien in okay. a science college. I'm like I, I don't know. I'm kinda curious it. about that now. Yeah. So, you know, I because I get this a lot from older students you know they say I just really love music and you know but this is what I'm going to major in and and I I never want to probe because you know my job is just to guide and not to try and like coerce them into a 
certain profession, but I'm always curious as to why they chose that versus something they really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what made you decide to go into nutrition right at first instead of uh, music? I think I was, I think my family had some reservations about being a music major, Um, and I didn't really know anyone else who was a music major. Like, it was, I didn't have any people to look up to that had gone down that path yet. So right. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure like what this is or what this looks like. So it felt safe to be nutrition. I was one of those people that was like, yeah, look up the articles on how much you'll make. When you're- <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, a science degree will put you there. And I did enjoy nutrition. I was very much interested in it. And I loved the, I love the science aspect of it, but when I was in the music department, like I am thriving, I'm whole yeah. again. And I'm like, you know what? That's more, like I had no friends in the nutrition department. It felt very cold mm-hmm. to me and just like huge classes as a freshman. And so I, my teacher Peggy one day was like, are you sure you don't want to be a music major? Like, why aren't you? And like, really, should I be one? Okay. And then I just like signed the paper. And the next day yeah. I, I changed my major. And I think I just needed to hear someone say, you could be a music major. Like, sure. So, yeah. Cause I, I'm sure like there's a part of that where you go, I don't know what I can do with this degree. Yeah. Even if I would love to have it, I don't know what I could do with it. And it just takes one person to go, here are the possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's, it's not out of your reach, you know, but, um, okay. So you changed your major and now you're a music major. And then what happens next? So I became a music major and this is like in one of the lows is I was hit with the reality of taking music theory as a, I was a sophomore in the school, but I was um, in the freshman classes with freshman music majors who knew they were gonna be music majors and knew something about music other than playing their instruments. So I felt very out of place. And I think I still kind of have this like weight on me about like music theory is so hard because (laughs) it it just, that first semester really was very challenging. It's brutal. Very hard. Especially for kids that don't have any experience with music theory in high school. Yeah. I I found myself in that position. I was very much a fish out of water for a while. Definitely. (laughs) I I knew nothing and I didn't even know what an interval was. was (laughs) Just day one, I was like, what's going on? Awful. And I I had to kind of teach myself how to feel comfortable in it, and I kind of brought flute to it because flute's comfortable, so I would play whatever I was doing to figure out chords and stuff, and I mm-hmm. just having, like, a tangible thing, like, doing that was very helpful because otherwise I felt it was a challenge. Yeah. So... That, that was the biggest challenge of being a music major. The the playing aspect, I was like, yeah, I got that. Well, that's that. what pulled you in yeah. in the first place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I went and got a master's. Um, I chose my master's program because during undergrad, I got to do a research grant on body mapping. Um, and I studied body mapping with Vanessa Mulvey. And I loved it. And I knew, I'm like, this is science and music yeah. and like health and playing your instrument better and with so, less stress. This is body mapping is huge in the flute community mm-hmm. for any musician that's not in our community or non-musicians listening. What is body mapping? What is like the elevator pitch for body mapping? Wow, okay. So <laughs> it's um, it stems from the Alexander technique. Um, it comes out of the Alexander technique. It was um, founded by Bill Conable and his wife Barbara Conable from Ohio State University and he was a cello professor um, as a way to learn the Alexander technique they have a book on um, like 
how to learn the Alexander Technique. So they were Alexander teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so body mapping is specifically using more um, applying anatomy concepts to better use yourself to better understand the structure, function, and size. Those are the three checkpoints of your body. Um, And it's especially helpful for flute players because we have an asymmetrical instrument. So Mm -hmm. it's alignment factors that help you feel more comfortable by understanding your body and also just breathing, um, understanding breathing and demystifying words like support and diaphragm. It becomes very... (laughs) very clear once you go through body mapping what what all that means so yes just being having more of an awareness of your body just Mm -hmm. in general um so did this become your main focus in your graduate studies yeah I ended up choosing I I went to Amy Lykar who was um I think at the time she was the president it was Andover Educators they just changed their name to something else the Association of for Body Mapping Education I think that's right um but I asked her who would be someone that is in alignment with teaching this way because there are some people who are very opposite in just how they would approach sure. a body. And I'm like, you know what? I, I've seen the benefit. It changed my playing so much. I want to continue on the path. And I was recommended to four different schools, and one of them was Florida State University with Ava Omsler. So yes. that is where I ended up going. And, and she's fabulous. She's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. um, she's very intuitive and very very aware and she made me a thousand times more aware of myself yeah she's I think she's so fabulous at questioning you in the moment and making you think for yourself Mm -hmm. and I and I remember the first time I had a lesson with her that caught me off guard so much because it, it was like she didn't start by telling me what I should do and then ask me questions. She did it the opposite. And I was like, oh, I have to be independent here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So master's at FSU, um, what made you decide to go straight through? Did you know exactly what you wanted to do with your degree and where you wanted to end up? Or was that sort of like... No. <laughs> mushy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I... I didn't know, I kind of didn't know what I could do when I was an undergrad. I just knew, all right, I'll get a master's. There were some really great players who were also the performance majors. There were a lot more education majors at UNH. Mm-hmm. and But there was a core group of people in my year who also were getting master's in, in performance. So, like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what else I would do. And um, I just knew I wanted to elevate my playing. I wasn't, like, done marinating. Um, I wanted to see what else I could do. So I went and I didn't go in knowing I wanted to be a teacher, but I did get a teaching assistantship. So I had to become a teacher. Mm -hmm. And Ava Amsler is a great person to teach you how to teach really intuitively. I also had the body mapping knowledge, which I feel like really helped me to teach more clearly. I mm-hmm. could understand how to explain things much easily, er, much more easily. <laughs> um, so those things together, by the end of, of grad school, I was like, I really enjoyed teaching. But I thank goodness I figured that out because I didn't know that <laughs> at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of, I think that revelation made me know that's not your cheese. <laughs> <laughs> You can just shove her off. She she needs a heavy hand. Come here, baby. Um, yeah, I think I think that revelation happens to a lot of people on accident. You know, because I I, I distinctly remember just having a, a very vague passion for flute when mm-hmm. I went into my undergrad, not really knowing what I wanted to do. 
I knew that I idolized my flute teacher at the time and I wanted to do exactly what she did, but it still didn't equate in my brain that she was a teacher. Yeah. I just knew that she was a fabulous flute player, even though she was my teacher. Um, and, you know, uh, my fiance and I, we both graduated from Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches, and uh, that's very much a band director breeding ground. They, they're big on music education degrees there, and so it just kind of funneled me through that direction for a while, and I ended up doing band directing for seven years. Um, and the whole time, I thought... I'm not a teacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm just here by accident. You know, I think just in the last like three or four years, it's really clicked, yeah. you know, that, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I probably should keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, so how did you end up in Austin? So I met my now husband while I was in my second year of grad school um, and he works in tech. So we moved here. <laughs> tech hub. Of course. (laughs) So he got a job here and I decided, I had just graduated and I kind of just had met him too and I'm like, I I have no idea what to do. I just graduated with a (laughs) master's in flute playing and I'm in Tallahassee right now. I, I really didn't understand what I should do. I had a vague idea that I should try to find a teaching position and like in schools and get mm-hmm. students. And I understood that was a step I needed to take. <laughs> and I said, why not just move somewhere? Brand-? I had never stepped foot in Texas before I decided I was moving to Texas. I, oh, how funny. The day I moved in was the first day I had ever been here. Um, but we've been here for five years and it's good. I, I do like being here. Yeah, it's yeah. a really fantastic place to be. There's. It, I mean, Texas is a great place for music education anyway, because we take it so seriously, like almost to a fault, I would say. But, um, uh, but it's yeah, it's really great, especially the private music, the private lesson scene here is fantastic. So many kids here are just hungry to learn and like get in there and like dig their dig their claws in and just really get after it. And so I find that really exciting. So, um, so let's talk about what it's like to be a private music teacher um because as you know people that have gone through the graduate school system and have come out with their music performance degree um that seems to be a very logical way to go so how has it treated you so far well (laughs) it's very challenging at the beginning um i I didn't understand Texas when I moved here because I had never even been here. I I grew up in Massachusetts and it's very different music-wise and Mm teaching-wise. So I I had never experienced having private teachers within a school program and that's that's what happens here. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't, I, I kind of saw that, but I ended up, I moved here first year here. I knew I had to do something, so I got a job in insurance and I told myself, like, I'm not doing anything insurance related. That sounds very scary to me. I'll do anything else. I will work at like a hotel <laughs> desk or whatever. I don't even know what I can do. And that was, yeah. it. I, I think I sent out like 50 job applications just sitting there. I'm like, I don't even know what am I qualified for? Like, do I work in, like have a master's degree, but like, it's not in anything I can do. <laughs> that oh, was the panic. Yes. And I got one, one phone call and it was from the insurance job and it was just data entry because I didn't want to have to do anything I, like the more you know secluded I can be, the better. Mm-hmm. I know I'm a good worker, <laughs> but I don't want to have to sell anything. Right. So I I took that job and I I think anxiety led me to do very well because I'm just I was so anxious. Yeah. I felt so out of place 
in this like office with a nine to five job um then I was like oh my gosh everyone else here like gets this like they're doing this so I I worked myself really hard and then I remember the first month they showed us a graph of like there were five of us in my hiring pool and it was me and like four other people and they showed a graph and I was like 50 times like higher productivity than everybody else I'm like that has to be wrong and I realized I'm like no I think I'm 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 that anxious that I am doing that much and then I calmed down yeah anxiety is a is an excellent motivator yes it it is they promoted me you know they they treated me really well I, I felt very confident there because they they saw that I was willing to I'm very detailed and all that stuff and I feel like it's all music stuff it makes us very aware of a lot of things so and it's hard to like do a bad job if you're a musician I feel like you don't let things go as much Mm -hmm. so that translated Um, for sure what is what um talk about you know because as musicians it's so important for us to have that identity Mm -hmm. um and within our professional life as well I, I know that some people including myself, um, can have a hard time having to take a job that's not music related. Um, how is that for you? And, you know, was there a, an ego thing involved in that? Or um, how, how was that process through working through all of that? It was, um, I felt like I know this isn't it. And even if I keep growing and growing here, there's a limit to, I just know, like, I wasn't just, I wasn't going to do this right. and I just I don't see myself doing this. They reached a point in my job where I had to start using the phone more and I was like, <laughs> I gotta practice or something, <laughs> like move on. It just it started getting you know, they trusted me to talk to like um sensitive people on the phone about like it was insurance, so like people whose houses burned down and like oh, yeah. I, I'm a sensitive person, I can take the call and like talk sure. calmly to somebody who's like replacing all their items in their house, but that's a lot. Woof. So yeah. Like, you know what I I started as data entry. That was a motivator. But in general, in the office, I felt like there was always this layer of me that felt like the nutrition program again. Like, these aren't... There were some musicians, but not classically trained music majors. And I just have a harder time relating to... It takes me a lot longer to, like... (laughs) It's such a different... It's so hard to... Like, how do you be a person? Yeah, I know. True. And, you know, it's not that you can't develop yourself personally professionally around other people that are musicians but it's just like you just connect with your people Mm -hmm. just they're your people you know yeah um so but it sounds like you had a pretty good grasp on like this is not a permanent situation I know that I'm gonna jump back in there at some point so was getting that job was that a survival job or was it a job that you got because you weren't sure at that point what you wanted to do I, I definitely needed to have a steady paycheck and it had benefits and that kind of thing and I needed to know I was you know being consistent I, yeah. I, I wasn't established enough to do freelancing at all and I, I was trying to build that up at the same time and in my first year here I sent out millions of emails to band directors because that's what they tell you to do when you're in grad school and they're like yeah that's how you get students yeah. and I did that and I got zero replies out of I had a spreadsheet I had spreadsheets I had names I had schools I had like you're more charts. organized than I was. I was I was ready for it I was so excited I'm like yeah I'm gonna get students and then I it was crickets I had nothing yeah. and it took me a year to get one student and it was through a guitar school 
and he's like, we don't really have a wind department, but someone's sister wants flute lessons. I had, like, emailed them, too, because they oh, were just wow. right yeah. up the street. He's, um, he's like, do you want to teach this one flute? So I'm like, I sure do. I, don't, I didn't have anybody else. And I... I went there and he kind of asked me, he's like, I, I would like to have a wind department in this guitar school and do you want to like run this wind department that would be its, under its own name but like renting space in our our building? And I was like, sure, because I'm maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So I will try that. I was terrified. I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I had to find other teachers. I found a saxophone teacher and someone else. This was five years ago and it obviously didn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I had started it. I made a website. I'm like, yeah, I think I will try to do this. I will like put whatever I can into it. Um, we put signs up on corners that got taken down within hours. Oh no. It was just, it, it nothing happened with it and after one month I paid rent for just like practice rooms in that space for a month and there were no students at all I'm like I'm not going to rack up mm, a I, no. this you know it didn't work I don't know what I'm doing I'm not the right person for this and but I can't say I didn't try I tried it and I moved along I still stopped, um, taught that student for a little bit but that was kind of it for a while she tapered off she didn't take any more lessons and so it was almost maybe two years I taught one student a few lessons I tried to like start a teaching wind department I was asked to do it in a successful mm. guitar school was a guitar school yeah so. it's a little bit different of an animal and there's so many of those here in, mm-hmm. in Austin for obvious reasons you yeah. know I'm sure they pull a lot of business but it's very isolated within like what instruments they want to focus on and yeah. I know there's a few of those schools that have wind uh, departments but I can't imagine they get that many s- students yeah. I mean I don't, I, I don't know though I've never talked to any ma- any management at any of those places but anyway so what other you know I I know for myself personally, and as we've been talking about, recruitment is one of the most intimidating, scary, frustrating things about freelancing and being a private teacher. So what are some things that you found worked for you to kind of get over that hump and finally start having a, a studio that thrived? I I think the most important thing to me that shifted me out and got me out of my insurance job finally was has to do with my online presence and having blog posts and videos and I built up and it was during my insurance job I was so desperate to make musical things in my mm-hmm. life and like practice for somebody and like make myself scared and put videos on Instagram I that grew me a little bit and it it chipped away at my, like it helped me get more confident but it also became like this is my portfolio I guess sure um and so I was able to get, I did get a job in a school. I saw the posting and I applied and I got it, even though I, I drove there and he's like, who are you? Like, <laughs> I, I drove an hour to get there. I'm like, yes, I finally have a teaching job. And he's like, oh, the, yeah, he's not here. And it was just very disorganized. I'm like, oh, that's not a good, it's not a good first sign. <laughs> like, but anyway, I worked my way into a band program. It was maybe two years yeah. in, to being here. And I taught there. I took over for whoever had left and. And I finished the school year, but it was so, I couldn't get the students to show up to their lesson. I'm like, how, and they weren't replying to me. Parents weren't replying. Like, I don't understand yeah. what to do here. So I was getting really frustrated. I'm like, I, I have my insurance job. Like, I could just keep that. Sure. So I let it go. And I said, this is, this makes me feel like I'm not good enough to do this. Like, it, it led me to that place because I couldn't yeah. get the students to 
I, I wasn't I wasn't aware enough of like how to be a teacher in a band program yet. I learned a little bit there, but I was like, I'm I'm not sure if if this is what I want to be doing anyway. And it starts, it starts kind of chipping away. Like you said at your self-esteem, like, am I a good teacher? Is this why no one's calling me back? Like, (laughs) but, uh, obviously that's not the case, but anyway. Um, so, so you got that job at the school and, um, you weren't getting a whole lot of traction. So what kind of turned the tide on on that situation. So I left that school. I went back to being, um, and, and this is where I sort of started to lean into Skype lessons. I was like, you know what? I, I don't know if I want to teach whoever the band program throws at me and try to like wrangle them and their families who I can't see. So I used the online presence I already had because I had just, I had worked away at it for so many years before that and I was like there are people looking at me and I could just start teaching on Skype I feel like there are people who are relating to what I want to talk about which is still like body awareness stuff Um, and sometimes a brand new student doesn't want to talk about their joints and like (laughs) (laughs) they're not there yet Um, so I leaned into Skype lessons and I got a few students to teach online and um which I still do, and I enjoy that the most because it's, like, my ideal person who wants to talk about yeah. the exact things I want to talk about. That's awesome. So you, so. at this point, had already built up an online presence, uh, a following on your, your YouTube channel or your, your blog yeah. uh, website, and so that's how you recruited on that end. Yes. I can imagine it's probably near impossible to to develop a Skype studio unless you already have that that online presence going how often were you posting to kind of get that those followers I I realized that I would get a and I I was posting daily photos it started as mainly pictures I just I love taking pictures and like being creative and creating visual things so it was sort of like an outlet too of just visual stuff and then I would start kind of writing about different things I had been doing blog posts since um, I started grad school because I wanted to collect my thoughts about teaching and so I had still kind of in 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 and out yeah. <laughs> not forever yeah. um but I, I had become more consistent when I did I was like oh I need to teach somebody like I, I pushed myself to make sure I was posting weekly blog posts um that were about the things I want to teach the most and like would speak to the students I would want to teach who are on Instagram versus just any post about flute playing like how to put your flute together I don't really want to talk that kind of student. So I made sure to make it, it was mostly about things I was practicing myself and like my own mindset about problem solving. And um, I made it about me because that's the easiest thing to talk about versus like, here's how one should play. (laughs) I I kind of struggle with that. And actually I find it really hard to make posts like that because I feel a lot of fear. Like someone's going to tell me I'm wrong. So if it's my experience though, like this is what I discovered today. No one can say that's not correct. (laughs) So it's, I think that's worked well for me, that tactic, because it's other people are also like in that mindset when they're alone. So I've, I've taught a lot of people who are on their own after graduating or you had a music major and then shifted and, but they want to keep playing at a higher level. So I love teaching those people and those are my Skype people. That's so, that's so exciting. So what percentage, uh, would you say are live students and versus, uh, Skype students right now? Right now, probably more 
more live students. I only have a couple Skype students. I'm back in school. I, I get more Skype students during the summer, and I think it's more like people preparing for fall stuff, um, which I kind of like because I get less in-school students. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I am in schools now, and I... I was in a different set of schools last year that helped me get rid of my insurance job, not get rid of, but like leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had become part-time at that job and I, I just phased out completely and said, I'm, I have enough in school yeah. position. And it was, um, I was recommended by somebody else and I was enthusiastically hired because of my online presence. Oh yeah. So well, that I'm, was super helpful. And I'm so glad that you said that because one of the reasons that we had initially got in touch was because I had stumbled on your website and was really impressed by um, just the layout and your blog and, and your online presence in general. So that definitely is a big seller for you. And I want to emphasize that because I think especially for young people or people in school right now, it's it can kind of pa- pass them by in a sense that that's so ubiquitous with daily life that they take it for granted <laughs> that it's so important. Um, but um, but yeah, and congratulations on uh, on full teaching t- teaching full time. <laughs> I just recently transitioned to that myself, and it's so liberating (laughs) to be able to focus all of your energy on on your music and your students and your your personal performance Mm -hmm. you know um okay so some uh, shotgun questions for you um what is the hardest thing about being a private lesson teacher i might have to say more than one (laughs) (laughs) um i i would say that it's the scheduling is very stressful. I'm still, I still feel like the school year is beginning because I'm still getting signups and then I'm still in the shuffle mode of like, how many trips am I making to Georgetown this week? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, so that's challenging because you're in, it's nice to have the kids in school and you go to the school during their class, but that also limits, it limits. how many how many kids can I stack. So I, I would love to have an ideal situation of stacking students and then driving home but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making a lot of individual trips for kids fortunately it's at a school that's very close to my house now I'm very lucky <laughs> awesome yeah but, yeah yeah I've got one like a mile and a half down there and then I've got one all the way down south but I love being at both <laughs> okay what is the most rewarding thing about being a private lesson teacher I I think it's seeing students just not even improve over the long term but I guess it is over the long term. It's like a little bit each time they take something and then they bring it back the next week and you know they they got this. They This is what they're thinking about now because it made an impression and that's, I guess, the long term, but also just like the immediate, they're taking something each time. So yeah. we only have 30 minutes together sometimes and I'm like, <laughs> boom, if boom, you boom. leave with nothing, I'm going to feel awful. Like, yeah. You have a full week ahead and I'm like, I need to make sure I'm, I'm giving you enough. I'm giving you what you need. So knowing that I've given them what they need and they come back the next week feeling empowered. I think empowerment is important to me too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Having uh, a student that develops their own autonomous practice skill set, their own mm-hmm. toolbox that they can use when you're not around, I think is uh, a challenge and a reward that I, I see quite often. And when a kid can f- 
can work their way through a problem themselves, I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> my heart is happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Next one. Next one. Um, do you ever see yourself going for a terminal degree? And if not, why not? I had decided not to go on after a master's. I, I wrestled with it when I was there with Professor Amsler, and finally towards the end of my master's, I remember going in one lesson, and I was like, I, I, if I did go on, I don't want to be where I am now. I want to go figure things out and get into a different place and be really certain that on the other side of a doctorate, I, I know that I am like highly qualified. Right. Um, and I'm glad I decided that because I do feel it's taken a lot of time. I feel like I'm really slow to figure stuff out and like build myself up, but I feel like I have elevated myself since in my own timeline, since graduating with a master's. And I know that if I did go back at this point, I would just have something more to say for myself. And I, I do still think I could have even more because I would love to teach in a college. Um, <laughs> it would be lovely. It would be lovely. I'm, I'm you know, like the, health insurance. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I love the idea of that. I'm really inspired by my, my teachers in school, and it's just a really special environment. But the reality of how competitive it is, I it having the degree isn't enough. I feel like in the time I have now, I need to get a lot. I yeah. need to have a, just a lot to say for myself. So... I kind of go back and forth with it. I love teaching and like being independent, but there could come a time where I'm like, this seems right right now. I feel right. like this would work. And for my husband too, like, we don't really want to move anywhere. <laughs> so we might hey, have to move. You know, I mean, personal reasons are such a, a important factor in making that decision too, you know, and um, sometimes you just have to make a hard choice. It's just yeah. not the right time, you know. Um, but do you, uh, <sighs> All right, so there's this thing called imposter syndrome <laughs> where, you know, I feel like every professional musician at some point comes to this point and goes, I'm just faking it and everyone's going to find out eventually. And for me, uh, I, I feel like part of the reason why I'm putting off going back is because, you know, some of what you're saying is that I still feel like I need to, like marinate in yeah. it a little bit more and then the other part of that is I feel like if I went back I'd kind of be an imposter it would feel like I'm walking into this going I'm not quite ready and yeah. everyone's going to find out eventually yeah. you know <laughs> even though I know that's not true but your brain tells you really weird things sometimes but do you ever do you ever get that feeling is that a familiar feeling yeah. for you oh my gosh <laughs> I've had some really the worst of it was for whatever reason, I was invited to be a guest artist last fall um, and give a master class. I'd never given a master class in a college setting. Um, and it was through the Texas Flute Society, which feels like a big deal to me. I'm like, I've seen yeah. really great faces on these posters, and they're asking me to do this. And I, I had never felt so sick about... <laughs> doing something. I said yes because you can't say no. Um, I had just bought a new flute that I felt like I couldn't perform on yet. It was totally shifting. Uh, like, yeah. um, and she asked, do you want to give her a recital? And I said, I better not. <laughs> um, well, the class is enough. And I got there that day and I was literally almost got sick in the bathroom Oof. before it started. I was so anxious. And then 
because of impo- I'm like I do not belong here. Someone is someone somewhere is like talking about how I don't deserve to be here, and like it, I got so worked up about it. But it ended up obviously being really good. No one in the audience yeah. was there to say like she doesn't deserve to be there. They were just there to receive whatever I gave, right. and yeah. it was okay. <laughs> Everyone just wants to absorb as much of everyone else's knowledge as they can, and I feel like most people are not as judgmental as we would want to think that they are. We are our own worst enemy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, that... Uh, that's really interesting. Um, okay, so last couple of questions that I have um, kind of relate to just general thoughts about your life as a musician. So one of the things I like to ask uh, in closing is what is, and you can pick more than one, but um, who is a teacher, mentor, fellow musician that has had a really significant impact on your career um, or your life as a musician, um, and why are they such a, um, a, a guiding influence on you? I have to pick more than one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I, I have different... I feel like each of my teachers has given me something different that's led me to feel really well-rounded. And my high school teacher is the one who just made me love flute playing the most and showed me, like, hey, there's this man named James Galway, and you should listen. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. And I just, I started to just eat up flute playing and wonderful players and listening, and that made me just shoot up in my ability because I could relate so think just a general love for it was born in high school with that teacher Donald Zook um and um obviously Peggy Voss at UNH she gave me a very well-rounded um look at all the technique stuff I needed to know we did all of the technical bear stuff it was just very organized and she has been there for a long time she'd already been there a long time when I got there and she just knows exactly what to give everybody and I loved having the structure that she gave me and we did all kinds of etudes and I did tons of repertoire and I got to perform a lot because it's a pretty small studio and they do recitals weekly so you can sign up as much as you want and I I got a lot of good performing time in and now I realize I cannot learn a piece like I could then. I'm not I'm not that much older, but like it's it came easily and I go yeah. back to those pieces that I I learned and I'm like, thank goodness I had already worked on this because it's there right. still. So I'm very grateful that I got my like big repertoire. Um, yes. worked through it with her and just lots of good experience. Um, because in grad school with Professor Omsler, I got just the nitty-gritty playing like sound fun I had never really been broken down to fundamentals of sound so much and just like humanness and how to practice and how to like really truly elevate to the next level um so we I didn't work on that much repertoire aside from recitals Mm -hmm. um in my first year we it was just really basic stuff but I would never have known how to practice or how to keep getting better afterwards she really taught me how to be my own teacher with problem solving and like thank goodness I'm still marinating on all the things she said (laughs) about that so all those things combined I feel like gave me what I needed that's so fabulous yeah I always love asking that question because it gives I feel like it gives the best insight on someone um and where they are currently and I find that most people that I ask that question to they go straight to their high school teachers and and I 
I, I, find, I found that shocking at first when I started doing this podcast, but now I feel like with a little more insight and reflection, it makes total sense. You know, I mean, you're at that age and yeah. that someone, you know, most of the time your teacher is going to be like this godlike performance yeah. master, you know, to you because you're new to being introduced to that kind of sound. And so they can have a huge influence on you. Yeah. Um, all right. And then the last question I have for you is, uh, what is some advice, some sage advice that you can offer to any young musician, uh, college musician, student musician who may find themselves uh, having a hard time or struggling to find motivation or a reason for doing what they're doing or anything like that. Yeah. I, I would say what has been most important to me is, is understanding that you don't have to like check off all the boxes immediately. And sometimes it feels like the people you look up to, it feels like they did and they might not have. (laughs) Yes. Um, they were just out of the womb playing concerti and concerts and like they're the professor of wherever at 22 years old and yep. it starts to feel like that's the only that that's who you have to be and I really held on to that for a long time like this is I'm not there yet I'm never gonna do that because I I'm too late and then I realized the more the more other people open up to about this is my rea- like somebody that you look up to my reality is today I'm just not feeling it or I've taken these months to feel a certain way yeah like, oh okay they're just a person so am I and it makes you feel a little better about having lulls because I think it's becoming more um more acceptable to talk about things that we feel shameful about and there's a lot of things you can feel shameful about as a musician there's <laughs> yes. tons of, of failure though it's just a part of it like yeah. a lot of failure and it's it's fine to have failure you just try again and be kind to yourself yeah be kind to yourself everyone deserves a break even if that break lasts six months yeah you know i mean do what you gotta do take care of yourself you know um well thank you so much jolene for sitting down and chatting with me um i know there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna get some help from listening to this conversation um where can people find you and follow you on the internet so my website is joleneharju.com um my instagram is joleneflute my Facebook page. They're all different. Sorry. <laughs> my Facebook page is Jolene Madewell Practice Room Revelations, which is the name of my blog. And I think that's it. Those are the main ones. Awesome. Don't don't go on Twitter. It's awesome. not updated. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll uh, link all of your all of your handles in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in contact with you, they can find you. Awesome. Um, uh, all right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in for the first season of episode or first episode of season two. Um, thank you. Jolene. Thank you. All right. See y'all next time. Bye.